Uh, Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. Let's hear God's word. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, And you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things. I want you to notice here at the start the the strong language that Jesus uses in this passage. In verse 42, you fools, literally you mindless ones, six times woe to you. Here is this Pharisee who has invited Jesus over for a meal. And while they're there, imagine this for dinner conversation. Someone starts announcing God's judgment on you. It makes for a pretty awkward dinner conversation. But one thing I want you to understand here at the start is this is not Jesus losing his temper. Uh, The Pharisees have been dogging Jesus since Luke chapter 5. They've been asking him question after question. They've been testing him. They've accused him of having demonic powers, of being of the devil. And as we read here at the end of this chapter, as Jesus went away from there, they uh, sought to press him and provoke him and ask him question after question in order to catch him in some kind of mistake. So this isn't Jesus losing his temper. Actually, this is refreshing, I think, because Jesus refuses to play their religious games. 
And this is Jesus speaking to the person trying to hide behind the thin veneer of their own religious performance rather than face up to the fact that they stand in need of the forgiveness of sins that's found in Jesus Christ alone. So I want to make something very clear here at the start. It's important in how we apply this passage. The direct application of this passage is for the, we'll call it the, I'm a good person non-Christian. The direct application, it is a warning to the person who says, look, I'm a decent person. I'm religious. I go to church. I pray. I do good things. I sacrifice for others. God will accept me. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. That's the direct application. But my friends, of course, of course, as Christians, we all still struggle with pharisaical, legalistic temptations, do we not? And so as we think about this passage, I I want to apply it in, in two directions. On the one hand, to the person who is saying... I don't need the grace of forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ because I'm good enough. Jesus is saying, woe to you. Woe to you. But then to the Christian, who still at times struggles with legalistic tendencies, Jesus is also saying to us, God knows your heart. God knows your heart, so stop, stop pretending So here's what I want to try to do today in the time that we have. I want to look at the marks of a religious hypocrite or or the symptoms of a legalistic life. I think I have have around eight, so we'll see how far we get. If we don't get through this whole passage, that's okay. We'll get as far as we can, but we'll do our best. Here's symptom number one of a legalistic life, setting your own standard of holiness. Symptom number one, verse 37 tells us that while Jesus was speaking, this Pharisee invited Jesus along for a dinner. Jesus went to his house. Uh, But then notice right away, this Pharisee starts judging Jesus because he did not observe man-made regulations, man-made rules of holiness. Verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not wash before dinner. Uh, So the, the, the issue here. Is, is not that Jesus was disregarding God's word, but that Jesus was disregarding man-made regulations that they had set up as a standard for the super-religious. So let's, let, I want you to listen to this. From uh, This comes from the Mishnah, so this isn't from God's word. This is a summary of oral tradition that I think will shed some light on this passage. Try to follow along if you can. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness, And they are rendered unclean up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist and the water flowed back down to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water and the second beyond the wrist and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand alone and then bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand was clean. If he poured, okay, it goes on and on and on, but you get, I think you get the idea here. So here's, here's this Pharisee who invites Jesus over for dinner and he expects Jesus to jump through all of those hoops to, to do the things that the super religious do. And Jesus walks right by this bowl and the Pharisee 
is dumbfounded. He's, he's astonished. What's going on here? And it's important we see here, Jesus wasn't doing anything morally wrong. He wasn't breaking God's law. He was breaking man-made laws that were not binding upon him. So this is a matter of indifference because God's law did not mandate how to wash your hands and clean up before supper. Okay, But this is symptom number one. Symptom number one of a legalist. Creating your own standard of holiness and then using it to justify yourself and to condemn others. All right, you make up a code of conduct and you use it then, you put it to use to show how you're in the right and how others are in the wrong. This can happen, I think, in various ways. If for a non-Christian, someone might, it might go like this. Look, I'm a, I'm a good person. And what they mean by that is their own standard of what is good, not God's. And then sometimes they'll slip in a comparison in order to substantiate their case. You know, I'm, I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not like, I don't do those kind of things, right? They're justifying themselves. But then, of course, as Christians, we can do this kind of thing too. Let me ask you some questions. Have you, have you ever judged another Christian, not because they were doing something blatantly unbiblical, but because they weren't doing something that you thought, you, that you thought they ought to be doing? Now, um, have you ever judged uh, another Christian for how they run their household, how they manage their finances, how they educate their children, what political positions they take? I, mean, I could just go on and on here. And I want to issue a warning. Beware, dear friends, beware, because it's all too easy for us to set up our own standard of holiness and apply it to others to build ourselves up and to tear other people down. And here's this Pharisee, and that's exactly what he's doing. Okay, symptom number two, though. Uh, After judging Jesus on the basis of his own opinion instead of God's word, we see a second symptom. And it's this, greater concern about outward appearances than a cleansed and changed heart. Greater concern about outward appearances than a cleansed and changed heart. Have a look at verses 39 through 40. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? So here's this person who, outwardly speaking, is very religious, very, very uh, uh, godly looking. And yet when Jesus looks into his heart, what does he see? He sees wickedness and greed. You ever, uh, you ever bit into an apple that on the outside looked, oh, this, this looks delicious. And you bite into it and ugh, it's, it's rotten inside. Jesus is saying that's what these Pharisees are like. Here's a a person who thinks that they can just keep up appearances and that God will not actually see the inner rot. You see, what what really matters, this is what we can sometimes convince ourselves of, what really matters is what can be observed with the naked eye. What people can see externally, keeping up appearances. But look at what Jesus says. That's totally mindless. That's foolish. God is not a man who looks upon outward appearances, he looks upon the heart. Jesus' logic here, I think, is devastating. He who made the outside also made the inside, so of course he knows your heart. 
Of course he knows your inner thought life. Of course he knows your desires and your motivations. Of course he knows what's going on in the inner you. So you can be the most, you can be the most religious, well-behaved, nice, friendly guy, decent guy out there. Let me put it in secular terms. You, you can be the most politically correct, diversity-aware, economically conscious man or woman in the Western world, and frankly... Dear friends, that's nothing more than window dressing to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Externalism doesn't fool God. He sees your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's going on inside of you. So the real question is, what's in your heart? What's on the outside correspond to what's on the inside? Maybe, maybe you speak, here we are at church today, maybe you speak courteously to people friendly conversation when inwardly you're harboring bitter and angerness and hatred toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe in your, your speech you never or rarely uh, speak profanity, but in your inner dialogue you would be embarrassed if that was published. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the case that you, know, you resist uh, sex outside of marriage physical sex outside of marriage, but secretly you feed and nurture forbidden lusts and pornography behind doors. Maybe you talk about trusting God's sovereignty when in fact you're angry and discontent. You see, we could keep going here, but some of us may be hiding sins that we know would spell our downfall, but we go on hiding it even though we know God already knows You see, outward cleanliness, here's the point, outward cleanliness cannot despise inner corruption. God sees, God knows. So to clean up your act while your heart is impure is as useful as cleaning the outside of a cup while the inside is filthy. Everything, though, everything Jesus is saying here is actually an old message. He's not saying anything new here. Jesus is reiterating what God has been speaking to his people throughout the Old Testament through the prophets. So I want to make sure we understand this. It's not as though the Old Testament was all about externals. And now here comes Jesus and he's spiritualizing everything. And now suddenly God is concerned about our hearts. No, Jesus is simply speaking once again the message that God had been speaking through the prophets of of old. He says, in uh, the prophets like Micah and Amos, you come, to my, you come to these services, but I don't like them. You offer these sacrifices, but I'm, I don't want anything to do with them. You, you bring your singing to me, and I'm, t- I'm tired of hearing it. You make your prayers, but I don't hear them. Because you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You've failed to show justice to the oppressed. You failed to show love and compassion to the needy. You failed to do these things because you do not actually love me. Your heart is far from me, and what you need to do is repent and turn to me. That's the message of the prophets. But let's go on here to the the third symptom, symptom number three, and it's this. Majoring on minor issues, but neglecting the things that really matter most to God. Majoring on minor issues, but rejecting or ignoring the things that really matter most to God. Jesus now issues these three woes to the Pharisees and then three woes to the lawyers. But take a look at the first one in verse 42. 
Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now the Old Testament uh, required a tenth of produce be brought into the storehouse as, a, as an offering to God. But you know, on one hand, it didn't, it didn't mandate minutia. You know, there's this picture here, I think, of a, you can picture a Pharisee with a, with a bowl and he's out in his herb gar- garden and he's picking the leaves off of these herbs and going, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then one for you, God. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then one for you, God. Okay, now don't misunderstand me. It's not wrong to be careful about how we give, nor generous in our giving. That's, that's not the point here. Because while they were, here's the point, while they were being super careful in one area, meticulous, precise, they were super lax in these big areas that were extremely important to the Lord. They were missing the fundamentals of the law of God. They were just passing by the, the, the main principles of God's law. Remember uh, Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You see, here's a description of God's people who have been changed from the inside out. They will actually care about justice. They will actually show kindness to those in need. They will care about mercy because their hearts, from their hearts working itself out into their lives, they are beginning to look like the God they love and worship. But, uh, now, for those of you, let me just say this. For those of you feeling the challenge of this, I've had to endure this all week, by the way. Let me just say, I'm right here with you. Uh, evangelical and Reformed churches, while there's much to celebrate in our history, dear friends, I think we also have to say we've not always done a good job in doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God. We, we sometimes preoccupy ourselves, do we not, with uh, personalities, celebrities, controversies. We spend our time talking about and debating and fighting, dividing over finer points of theology. We pride ourselves on being people of the Bible. And the Lord is asking, well, what, a, what, about, what about justice? What about love? What about compassion? What about mercy? What about the law that I have given to you? I think these are uh, challenging questions. And the Lord is asking, you know, what, what, a, what about the things that I love? Are you welcoming the stranger, helping widows and caring for orphans? I want to see you zealous about that. I want to know that you really care about loving those in need and showing compassion to those who are hurting. I want to know that you actually care about people whose lives are in shambles. Or or is it that you simply want to strut your knowledge and your theological acumen and go on producing, you know, strutting your religious performance? That's the challenge Jesus is issuing to these Pharisees here. So here's this this deeply religious person, this person who's meticulous and precise. And friends, we ought to be meticulous and precise when it comes to our doctrine. You know that. But here's this person who's precise in their theology, precise in how they live. And Jesus is asking, does your life show that you actually care about the things God cares about? Is your heart actually in line with the heart of our Heavenly Father? 
Does your life say that you're passionate about being kind and showing mercy? Or, or has your life just become a life of loveless, religious, rote obedience that you render to God? And so this is, I think, one more mark of a pharisaical heart. Loveless obedience in a few areas that should not be neglected, but at the same time, neglecting the big things that really matter to God. Things like love and mercy, compassion, justice. Jesus is saying, don't think you can ignore the really big things that God cares about by lovelessly complying in just a few small things. Here's symptom number four. And we'll cover, try to cover this one quickly here. Craving the status and recognition of others. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Now the chief seats in the synagogues were seats that were right alongside where the rabbi would teach. And if you sat in that seat, you would actually face the congregation. It was a seat of prominence. And the entire time, there you were beside the, the one speaking It'd be like sitting in one of these chairs during the entire service. Okay, and then you have these, these uh, Pharisees who love being greeted in the marketplaces. Someone coming along and saying, well, hello, learned doctor, brilliant, great, most wise, Mr. Pharisee, blah, blah, blah. Okay, they loved it. They ate that stuff up. But let's bring that home because what Jesus is saying is, apply this to ourselves, you can have a person who goes to the house of worship to not really go and worship God, but really to go and worship themselves. That's what Jesus is saying. And you can have a person who outwardly looks like they're concerned about the honor and glory and fame of God, and really they're just concerned about their own honor and glory and fame. And Jesus is saying there's one more mark of a legalistic heart. Symptom number five, a corrupting influence on anyone who comes into contact with you. Uh, Jesus says, woe to you for neglecting what matters most. Woe to you for pursuing your own status. And woe to you because you are like an unmarked grave. People don't even recognize when they walk over it and become defiled. Now what's this about? Well, according to the book of Numbers, anyone who touched a grave uh, was ceremonially unclean for seven days. So you had these Pharisees who, of course, were deeply concerned about that, and they were extra careful about whitewashing graves so that everybody knew where the graves were at and no one would accidentally stumble upon one and become defiled. Um, just to give you a, a flavor for this, yesterday I was talking to my father-in-law, who's a, he's an occupational therapist, and uh, he works for a, a Jewish organization. And uh, he, he develops really uh, well bonds with some of his patients, and one of his patients recently died. So he went to... Uh, is it Shiva? Is that what it's called? Um, uh, and an Orthodox uh, rabbi was uh, in charge of everything. And at one point, my father-in-law, Mike, told me the rabbi explained why he wasn't at the, uh, where, they, where they buried him. And the explanation he gave is, uh, I believe I am a descendant of Aaron. And if I come within four meters of, uh, of a... Uh, gravesite, I will become ceremonially unclean. So that's why I wasn't there. Okay, that just gives you a feeling for what uh, Jesus is talking about here. All right, well, what does Jesus say though? You're like unmarked graves. Uh, you're, you're dead inside, but worse than that, 
when someone comes into contact with you, you defile them. You corrupt them, Jesus is saying. I mean, this is a stinging rebuke. They corrupt others by their own hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is saying. You make little Pharisees. People who think that they can clean the outside of the cup while their heart remains wicked. People who think that they can relate to God on the basis of their own religious performance. Those are the kinds of people you produce. And Jesus is rebuking them for that. And my friends, the same is true for us. I, I, this, is, this needs to be, I'm preaching to myself here first and foremost. But if we give, if we give others, uh, parents, if we give our children the impression that being a Christian is really just a matter of putting on a public show, uh, then what Jesus is saying is, is, is very simply this. What you're doing is defiling and corrupting those people. You're leading them astray. You're like an unmarked grave corrupting those around you. Now, when Jesus has been pronouncing these woes, uh, a lawyer was listening. And uh, here Jesus identifies three more symptoms that I'm going to try to race through so we get through them together. Here's symptom number six, which applies particularly to spiritual leaders piling up man-made rules and not lifting a finger to help. That's number six, piling up man-made rules without lifting a finger to help. Now, lawyer here is not a litigator in a court of law. Lawyer, this time, we're talking about a Bible scholar, a Bible expert, a Bible teacher, someone who had the responsibility to teach God's word to God's people. That's, that's what we mean here by lawyer. And he's been listening, and he, and he says, Jesus, in these things that you say, you insult us also. Now, you know, Victorian Jesus, humble, meek, and mild, would maybe come back and say, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to insult you. But the real Jesus comes back and says, you're absolutely right. Woe to you, you spiritual fraud. That's what Jesus says to him. I, mean, I think Jesus is ticked off here. If, any, if anything makes Jesus angry, it's spiritual abusers. And these lawyers were spiritual abusers, leading people astray. And then he mentions a seventh symptom again aimed at religious leaders in particular in verses 47 through 51. And here's my summary. It's paying lip service to the word of God when in fact you distort and rebel against it. Paying lip service to the word of God when in fact you distort and rebel against it. So here are these Bible experts and teachers who claim the prophets. Right? They claim the tradition of the prophets and Jesus says to them, actually, you stand in a tradition of murder. And one of the primary points of the prophets is that the Lord desires obedience over sacrifice. A heart consecrated to the Lord over mere religious external performance. Why did the Lord have to give the people that message? Well, because in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they, they kept the ceremonial law, some of them, out of mere religious ritual when it was given all along to prepare people for and to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they turned the moral law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments as this basis that they stood upon to maintain their relationship with God. This is how uh, we merit God's grace. And Jesus condemns them for that. They uh, the Lord, the prophets, what's the message of the prophets? The Lord does not desire religious ritual. He doesn't desire skin-deep obedience. Repent. 
Rend your hearts, not your garments. That's the message of the prophets. And that message got some of the prophets killed, didn't it? Now here are these Pharisees and lawyers claiming the tradition of the prophets. And now here they are wanting to kill Jesus, the true prophet of God, the final prophet, the great prophet. And Jesus says, let me make it clear what tradition you actually belong to. You're just like your father's. Claiming the word of God, but distorting and rejecting its message. Now, my friends, once again, you see, we can be guilty of a similar sin. If we pay lip service to the word of God, when in fact, in our hearts, we rebel, we distort, and we reject it. We can be guilty of a similar sin if we, we, we love to talk about God's grace, but in fact, in our hearts, we're refusing it. We're resisting it. God doesn't want your empty religious performance or religious rhetoric. He wants us to turn and repent. He wants your life to be changed from the inside out. But then finally, symptom number eight. These religious leaders, they hide the saving truth of God. Verse 52, woe to you, for you take away the key of knowledge and hinder people from entering. In other words... You, you Bible teachers, you pastors, you celebrity pastors, you, you Bible experts, you hinder people from understanding the gospel. You hinder people from understanding the actual message of the Bible. You see, what these scholars did was take the message of the Bible and completely distort it into one more works-based religion. Yes, they used the language of the Bible, They'll talk about sin, they'll talk about grace, they'll talk about salvation, but then they fill it up with falsehood. Sin is basically reduced to external imperfections, things you do wrong externally. Uh, grace, well, God has, God has chosen us and he's given us the oracles of God. And so how are we saved? We are saved by keeping the law of God. That's, that's basically the message. And Jesus is saying, you fools, you take away the key of knowledge. You tell people to clean up their act by keeping your ridiculous rules that you've actually added to the law of God as if the law of God is insufficient. I mean, the Mishnah actually talks about putting up a fence around the law of God to protect it. And what Jesus is saying, what they really need to do is humble themselves before God and return to him in repentance. And a lot of us, a lot of Christians today need to do that very thing. So Jesus confronts religious hypocrisy in this passage. And he confronts it head on, doesn't he? And he he exposes the pretense of a person who says, I'm a decent person. Maybe they'll go even a step further and say, I'm a decent Christian. He confronts the person who says that God will accept me on the basis of my own obedience because my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Okay, that's one thing Jesus confronts. And then Jesus also says, don't, don't think that your externalism can ever hide your heart from God. The greed, the wickedness, the evil, the lack of love for God. No, no, we all, we all need to come to Jesus. We all need to come to Jesus where real forgiveness is found. And dear friends, where real change is found. Because when we really come to the Lord Jesus what does, what does he do by the Holy Spirit? He changes our hearts so that change is produced from the inside out. And I want to talk more about that as we come.
to the Lord's table today, but I need to wrap things up. So let's pray together. Father, may each of us here today experience a true heart cleansing and change that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this passage as much as it stings and as much as it may hurt some of us. We thank you for its challenge. And frankly, Lord, we see ourselves being described here in so many ways. So we cry out to you, Heavenly Father, that you would guard us as a congregation from ever being a merely external people. Protect us from the temptations of legalism. And Lord, allow us to be a people who are beyond appearances, concerned about matters of the heart. Lord, we pray that you would uh, grant us the gift of faith, the gift of repentance that leads to new life. And Lord, for any who are here today who have been standing on the shaky ground of their own performance, we pray that you would pull it out from under them and show them the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.